Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Dear friends, thanks so much for joining us today on this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. My name is John Russell, and I serve as the host. I'm here with my sidekick, partner in crime, Pastor Frank Friedman. Man, it's good to hear your voice today, my friend. It's good to hear us, John. I always look forward to you and I sharing over Father's Word in the hopes that we do so in such a way that people are encouraged in their faith journey. So I'm looking forward to what you have today. Indeed it is. You know, we don't script these at all. This is more like a Bible study conversation between the two of us, I think, because I have a few ideas on paper. I'm sure you do, but we don't design a script. We don't have a plan. We talk and we uh, we trust the Holy Spirit. So it's great to open Father's Word together, Frank, because today is going to be tough, my friend. Mm. We are focusing on one of the pivotal words in Scripture that I think is an anthill kicker. Of course, I always think that, but this one really is. And it comes from Philippians chapter 2. And it's this, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. So our word for mm. this episode series, Frank, is attitude. Mm. And uh, my friend, I <laughs> cannot overstate the importance of this word. Can you? Well, I was thinking maybe you ought to get somebody else to do this one. Well, no, you're you're the bad attitude example, Frank. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> That's a toughie to have the same kind of attitude as Jesus. My goodness. Talk about an impossible task right out of the mm. chute. It's one thing to talk about an attitude and how we can improve it, but to throw my attitude and Christ Jesus in the same sentence, that's like a double whammy, man. <laughs> mm, oil and water. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Unless uh, we learn to live out of our union with him, and I trust that's where we're going today. That's where we're going, my friend. <laughs> but the reality of life for us and for most people is that's not an everyday circumstance. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. what I did as I began, my friend, is that as I usually do, I want to get a definition of a word. And so I looked up attitude, and there are lots of definitions out there, but the core one is this. It's a settled way of thinking mm. or feeling that's reflected in a person's behavior. I like that definition, Frank. Mm. So you settle your thinking, you set your mind, and your behavior follows. It seems like I've heard that somewhere, haven't I? <laughs> yeah, we've harped on that a lot, haven't we? I think probably, you know, Romans 12, be, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And of course, that always profound simplicity of Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinks within himself, so he will be. So that's a great thought, John. Let's Indeed get it, it at is. the source. Let's yep. get at the source. So it's a settled way of thinking or feeling. And this is the key. It's reflected in your behavior. That's mm. why Paul puts so much emphasis on how we are to act here in Philippians chapter two. Because to be honest, Frank, just walk outside your door, hop in your car and drive 20 minutes. There is so much wrong with our world. Mm. Every place we look, 
you know, we see disappointment, depression, we see hurt, pain, rejection. My goodness, my friend, the list goes on and on. And if we're not careful, it is so easy to get sour mm-hmm. and critical. Mm-hmm. And, you know, after a while, the first thing we look for, Frank, is what's wrong. What's wrong with things? What's wrong with places? What's wrong with people? Here's a perfect example. My wife, Terry, and I just came back from looking at a, a house we're considering buying. Well, as we walked around that house, the first things we noticed were everything that's wrong. Hmm. You know, it's almost like a work of mental effort to set your mind on what's right about the house, because that's not where we normally go first. And friend, as you know, if we're not careful, we can really get bitter about our lives and our circumstances and our world, and we become miserable to live with, don't we? Mm. Well, you know, John, you said a key word there too. You said drive, and that instantly moves beyond just what I see, where I see billboards and see trash and see people tailgate, people cut in front of you. You try to get into line, they won't let you. There's such a manifestation of selfishness and foolishness when you have 150 horsepower at the fingertips of a carnally thinking person. So I've long said, I don't know if the Apostle Paul could have been sanctified in our modern world in terms of his walk. Not driving on Baton Rouge freeways. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, the Holy Spirit knew that this was a battle because in Colossians, he says, set your mind on things above you know, which is, of course, where Christ is, where we dwell with him. Philippians, Paul said, whatever's pure, right, lovely, true, honorable, think on these things. So, yeah, I think you're right. Our tendency as a human being is is many times to look at negative, and it's an act of the will to turn that around and see this world through the eyes of heaven. Like Paul said, don't judge any person after the flesh, but that's so very easy to do. Oh, gosh, it certainly is. And I'm going to point the finger directly at myself this time, my friend, because I have one of the worst cases of uh, the most common disease on earth. I call it I know better disease. (laughs) (laughs) You know, uh, things, people, places, circumstances, you name it, all these can be improved if they just take my advice. (laughs) What does that sound like a God complex or what? Oh, my goodness. And you magnify that. I I once uh, heard something and I stole it because I thought it was so good. Person said, take a thousand piece puzzle, dump it on the table. And they said, that's our fallen world. Only it's worse than that. What if you lost the box? Then you wouldn't have the proper picture with which to put the puzzle together. He says, but it's even worse than that. He said, the problem with our fallen world, this is so good, John, is that every one of those thousand puzzle pieces has their own picture on the box. (laughs) Oh, boy. A God complex. And who's going to be God? So (laughs) That's right. As you and I always say, those of us who are best equipped should play the role as God. And sometimes I feel like I'm pretty well equipped, but I suspect, Frank, that I'm not the only one who suffers from that disease. Yes, that's true. That's why Paul takes so much time in Philippians chapter two to talk about attitude. So this is what he says, Frank. 
he begins with a series of instructions on how we are to relate interperson. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he says this, be of the same mind. Mm, okay. Maintain the same love. Okay, it's getting a little harder. Be united in spirit. Okay, it gets even tougher. Mm-hmm. Be intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Humbly consider one another as more important than you are. That's one mm. I really don't like. And don't merely look out for your own interests. Look out for others' interests too. Frank, as I look at all these, I counted them. There are seven. And these magnificent seven are absolutely impossible to do consistently in our own strength, aren't they? Yes, John. And I think it's very important for our listeners out there. Our number one rule always is context. And verse one comes into play as the foundation or the basis for those behaviors, where he says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the spirit, if there's any affection and compassion. And John, that is what's called, I believe, a first class condition in the Greek, which means if there is and there is. And so what Paul is really saying there is, if you've been encouraged in Christ and you have, if you've been consoled with his love and you have, if you've experienced the spirit and you have his infection and compassion and you have, and what he's really saying is if you understand Christianity at all, then let's see these things in your life. That's a very sober, sober challenge, John. Indeed it is. And he doesn't lay them out there, Frank, as goals for us to try to reach in our best effort. He lays them out there as encouragements to us. You know, this is what's possible in your life. This is not a fantasy. This is real because Romans 6 says the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and empowered him to live as he did. Guess what? He lives in you. And so Mm -hmm. you can live as he lived. You can love as he loved. You can show compassion, patience, forgiveness, just as he did, Mm -hmm. because that's the reality of who you are. So it's kind of bad news because we can't do any of this without him. But it's kind of great news because we can do all of it because he lives in us. Mm -hmm. That's right, John. Pastors and Bible teachers would make a, terrible, terrible mistake by calling people to behavior without providing them the basis or ability for that behavior. And that's one of the things that the writers of the New Testament did so consistently, like the Apostle Paul. You know, every one of his letters always had the doctrine first, the understanding, the finished work of Christ, and then he would follow with the practical exhortations of how to live. And so this is just a huge point that you've just made. We're not calling people to a behavior, to a code of ethic. We're calling people to a proper understanding of who they are in Christ, who Christ is to them, and the natural byproduct of that union. Jesus always lives this way. He loves. He lays down his life. He comforts. He looks on the interests of others. Like he said, he didn't come to be served. 
he came to serve. And that becomes our life's calling as well. The, the problem, John, I think is doing it, like you said, with the right attitude. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know how many times I've been through Sunday school classes or in churches over the years, read books, read little encouraging memes online that lay these out there as an inspiration. But more often than not, we tend to interpret those as a target, mm -hmm. uh, not as an encouragement or as a promise. You know, maybe that's a better word, Frank. Consi mm -hmm. you know, consider these as promises because he lives yeah. in you. This is mm -hmm. a promise of what your life will be like. How will you relate to others? It'll be just like this if, and this is the big one, if we will trust him, if we will consent to his work in our life, if we will cooperate with him. So the role we play in this starts way before these actions, these attitude mm -hmm. expressions. It begins with, yes, sir, I trust you. I'm going to give you permission to work in my life, to craft and shape me any way that fits your kingdom. That's almost the foundational decision we need to make before we can ever hope to see mm -hmm. these expressions of Jesus' attitude in our own life. Yeah, I think, and then like Paul said, you know, day by day, we are changed into his very image. So it's it's really an interesting thing, John. It's a finished work from his end, but the work continues in our end. The writer of Hebrews said he's perfected forever those who are being perfected. <laughs> yeah. So it's an event. Uh, we don't try to become a lover. We don't try to become unselfish. We don't try to become a servant. We are, but we have to learn to live from within, from him and become what we are on the outside. And that's the process. Indeed it is. You know, you use an example many times over the years of how we're really like little children learning how to walk with our father. Mm -hmm. If you look at this list of the magnificent seven, as I call it, it's easy to become totally overwhelmed by this. Mm -hmm. It's almost like running a world-class marathon. Well, God never calls us to run a world-class marathon. He tells us to walk with him mm -hmm. step by step, like a little child. And so, Frank, you said this many times, how does father treat a little child? When he falls. Mm. Well, you know, John, look at our own lives. When our little kid took two, three steps and then the mama dropped a pan in the kitchen and the child looked off course and bam, they went down. I, I don't know very many parents, thankfully, who would run over mad that the child fell down. They're going to be excited. You took three steps this time. And the one who gets mad is the little kid. You know, they get frustrated, but we go pick them up, encourage them, say, let's go for four steps. Well, you know, John, we got that from God. That's the way he treats us. I think one of my favorite Old Testament verses is from Proverbs, where he says, the righteous man falls seven times and gets up again. And John, you know, we look at scripture, sometimes we have to look at what it doesn't say. It doesn't say the righteous man never falls. It says he keeps getting up. And if we took it one step further, and I like this, seven in biblical numerology is the number of perfection. So we could translate it, 
that man's a perfect failure. <laughs> <laughs> he perfectly falls down, but he keeps getting up. And that's the way God treats us. We keep getting up because we know that we're not in this alone. We are learning to live from him. And we spend a lot of years living from ourselves and our resources and our battery power and depending on other people and their battery power. And so it's a paradigm shift. And uh, God understands that. But the key is to keep moving forward. That's right. You might do well at being of the same mind, but the next day you're not intent in the same purpose. Okay, well, so pick yourself up mm -hmm. and start over again. I look at the perfect example that Jesus laid out for us, and, and Paul describes that a few verses later in Philippians 2. Jesus Christ, Jesus showed up as God. So even though I think I have I know better disease, he mm. does know better. <laughs> you know, he shows up. He made everybody. He made everything. He knows how he designed it. He knows how it should work. I mean, he's the manufacturer. He has all the manufacturer specs. But he showed up mm. like that. And I tell you, Frank, he could have showed up in a God t-shirt, thumping around, telling folks how to improve. I'm in charge here. It's time to straighten up. You're doing this all wrong. But that's mm. not how he did it. He showed up in a body so that we could recognize him. We could welcome him. He mm -hmm. came to us as one of us. He let go of his autonomy to act as God, even though he had every right to keep it. And he emptied himself. Frank, I tell you, that right there captures in my mind the heart of the attitude that Paul's talking about here. He made himself of no effect. I mean, this is just amazing. I, I used to walk into a meeting room when I had a job. You know, oh, the vice chancellor's here. And so I could walk in and I could boss everybody around. I could tell them what to do, how to do it. But I generally tried to leave that title at the door mm -hmm. and just come in as, as one of them. Mm -hmm. And I found that worked so much better. But our father did it uh, perfectly. Mm -hmm. He just came with no agenda except to restore us mm -hmm. in whatever was necessary to restore us. And then Frankie comes here. He says he took the form of a servant. This is doulos. You know mm -hmm. this word. It's mm -hmm. a bond servant, completely giving up his will in favor of someone else's will. These thoughts just sort of freeze me when I think about how I have expressed myself with others over the years. Wow. Mm -hmm. Talk about humbling and feeling like I really blew it. Does that sound mm -hmm. familiar to you? I know you don't make any of these mistakes. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, you know, John, the wonder of the incarnation should leave us stunned for the rest of our lives. You mentioned going into a meeting and humbling yourself, not living out of a role as vice chancellor and seeking to be one of the people in the room for that meeting. That is admirable. A man stepping out of his role to be a man. But it's quite another thing for God to step out of his role and be a man. The creator doing so, becoming a part of creation, but then the motive to serve the creation that he himself created. Uh, that that just boggles the mind, John. Yeah. 
And one of the tools of debate, and, and you know this, John, is to argue from greater to lesser, to magnify your point. And in John 3.16, it says, God so loved the world that he gave his son. And his son, of course, laid down his life. That's the greater. I think it's very ironic that 1 John 3.16, I think, isn't that funny? The Spirit did that, John 3.16, 1 John 3.16. He said, if he laid down his lives for us, then we should certainly lay down our lives for each other. The argument of greater to lesser. And, and, you know, when we hear that, we kind of go, how could we not do anything but that? with what was done for us. It's huge. It's a real, you know, the term attitude adjustment. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. it it truly is. But I wouldn't even say attitude adjustment. I'd see it's attitude replacement. Oh, there you go. It's even better. It's probably a better way of saying Mm -hmm. it because have this mind, this attitude in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's there. Mm -hmm. You just got to let it out. But I tell you though, I really struggle because uh, I, I often think that one of my greatest spiritual gifts, Frank, is judging another man's servant. Romans <laughs> <I was> 14. <laughs> oh, gosh. You know, and I look at this and say, mm. Father, what did I just do? What did mm. I just do? That's not how I want to live. That's not how I want to live. But, Frank, this whole thing in attitude is just life changing if we will cooperate with him. That's probably the point I want mm. to try to wrap up on is. Mm-hmm. Nothing else we're going to talk about in the rest of this podcast series on attitude is going to make a whole lot of sense or have any traction unless we begin with that. Will we cooperate? Will we consent to what our father's doing and let him work his will in us? All right, Mm -hmm. my friend, wrap us up. Well, I just had one thought as you were wrapping that up, John, because you said you want to fix people. Yeah, I think that goes back to the lie of the Garden of Eden. The lie was that we would become as God, and we ate from the tree of right and wrong. So we become the determiner of what's right and what's wrong, at least in our own eyes. And then when you put that belief system to the belief system that we're God, well, then naturally, I have to help you do it my way because my way is better. I have to fix you. And, you know, it's just fascinating, John. We're not called to fix anybody. We're called to love them. And I think the fix is in the loving. If I could just have a high horse for one more minute, John, I've been meditating on this thing called love. And one of the thoughts that came to my mind is that love can never be defined because when you define it, it ceases to be love. And what I mean by that is that love is a verb. It is something that is unleashed. It is something that is expressed. And so the moment you put it on a piece of paper in a definition, it ceases to be expressed. So I think the church has been trying to define love instead of loving. We would say, for example, let me define for you sunlight. And you say, well, the, the sun is a star and it's 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 hot and it sends warming rays. And I could also say, come on, let's you and I go outside and experience the sun. 
you see the difference? Oh, yeah. I think it's time for us to stop so much talking about the doctrine of servanthood, the doctrine of, of the incarnation, the mindset of Christ to lay down his life. And it's time for us to start doing it. The impact's going to be when the people experience it in us, not when we tell them about it. That's my high horse. <laughs> well spoken. Well, friends, thanks for joining us today on the podcast for Our Resolute Hope. And if Father has nudged you today, please take a moment and visit our website. You'll find us at OurResoluteHope.com. Lots of material there for you to listen, read, watch. Check us out on all of our social media platforms. We've got a presence on Facebook, Instagram, and an ever-growing presence on our YouTube channel. So we invite you to watch that, to like and subscribe, ring that bell, so you won't miss any new material we put up there. And as always, Frank and I close with the same reminder from Hebrews chapter 6, that we have this hope as an anchor for our souls. Peter calls it a living hope. Paul calls it a blessed hope. Frank and I call it a resolute hope, steadfast, bedrock, never shifting. And today and always, choose hope, choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, he offers you himself, his own life. He wants to live his life with you, in you, and through you as you trust him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.